Well, good morning. As he said, I'm Jared Harms. I'm the uh, communications and outreach pastor. Uh, for many of you guys, uh, it's an unfamiliar face. The last year, it's, it's been a uh, blessing to get to do a lot of the live streaming, uh, the stuff downstairs, down in a dark room that I don't get to see many of you guys, and then you add the mask to it. And so for some of you, it's the uh, welcome for the first time. Um, but what a blessing it's been for the last year in the midst of everything to be able to broadcast live for those who are online uh, today uh, for the last year of being able to use technology to reach people. Sometimes uh, for the first few weeks, we were thrilled it was in our living room. And then after the first few weeks, we were thrilled not in our living room. Um, and so wherever you may be, I'm, I'm glad to speak to you this morning, to be with you this morning. Um, and before I start, though, um, yesterday, if you got to see, we had our first ever The Great North Point Bake Off. Um, and for those of you who judged, there's about 30 plus, 40 plus who judged. Um, we had 14 contestants for the first time ever doing that. I got to be one of the judges, and I can tell you uh, it was so much fun uh, as a family to get the bag of cookies that, uh, from each one of the contestants. As a family, we went around. Uh, we had our rubric we were supposed to grade from, uh, and you're, you're judging it. You're acting like you're the, the British baking show. Like, mm, that's so good. That taste, oh, that flakiness. And I, had no, I, don't just, I just ate them. It was good. But my daughter, as she's eating it, she's watched way too much of the show. So she was going to town on like, is it this or is it this? I like this one. Oh, I don't like this one. Oh, this one gets a three. So she was ruthless. Um, she was not a pushover. But we had our uh, third place went to Sarah Croce. Um, she's downstairs probably, but it was so... Such a good cookie. She did a great job. Uh, second place went to the eighth grade girls small group. Uh, they did a s'mores one. That was my personal favorite. Uh, that got first for me. Uh, that, that hit hit the heart. And then first place was Cindy Harper uh, with her cookie. And if you've had any of hers, uh, it, it was it was amazing. Um, and then the most beautiful went to Cindy's as well. And uh, the uh, taste like grandma's was uh, the Wilkinsons. So if you see any of them today, if you got to see it online, uh, I hope we get to, to do this again, whether it's in person or online. It was, it was amazing. So um, as I get started, a couple years back, um, I told my wife, hey, on the next vacation, next time we do something, what I want to do is, as an outdoors person, we've done a lot of hiking, we've done a lot of camping. In Colorado, there's these mountains called the 14ers. They're 14,000 feet. I said, I think we should hike one of those. And as a husband, spouse, if any of you guys have kind of brought one of those harebrained ideas to your spouse, and they're like, huh? Luckily, Lindsay went along with it, and she said, sure. I mean, it's like, it's a, we've hiked before. How hard can a 14er be? We'll, we'll do that. So the months leading up to it, we're both kind of doing the more walking than normal, doing the stair steppers, working our way to where we feel like we're, we're pretty good at, at being able to hike. Uh, we... we drop our kids off with my parents. They watched them for, for the week. We gave ourselves a couple days, one to get acclimated, and then to hike it. And uh, you can see the mountain here. Uh, we'll show the first picture. This one's Mount of the Holy Cross. If, if you have done outdoor stuff, you know, pictures never show justice. But you start at about 7,000 feet. The night of, uh, you get next to no sleep. You wake up at three in the morning to hit the trailhead. You're hiking in the dark for the majority of the morning. And it's one of those, you kind of start 7,000, it feels pretty good for a flatlander. You're like, this is already kind of hurting a little bit, but I'm in shape, I'm good, 8,000 feet, 9,000 feet, and then all of a sudden, ours, we go down. And I was like, well, we're supposed to be doing 14, but we're at 9, but we'll go down, I guess. And we went down, down, down. And we get down to the valley, and there's everyone sleeping there. 
intense, and we kind of like, huh, this is strange. Like, I know the map is here, and I know we, we didn't summit before. And talked to somebody, and they said, oh, no, you don't usually hike this in one day. You, you hike the first mountain, and then you spend the night here. You don't do both together. That's insane. And we're like, well, we're just going to keep going. And so we joined those who'd had a good night's rest. We had not had a good night's rest. We'd already summited one mountain. We were on to number two. And we started going up. And about halfway up, you get these stair steps that are about knee height. And you're just going up them. And they go for about a mile of just straight up these stair steps. And that's over there in the tree line to the far right. You hit the stair steps. And you're not to the summit yet. And you kind of get these false summits where you think you see it, and then you think you see it. And about halfway up there, I got what's called altitude sickness. Didn't know what it was at the time. But it's basically where your body says, I'm done. I don't like the height. I'm not going to give you enough oxygen. We're done. I didn't know what it was. I'm quite stubborn. And my heart's just racing. And, like, it wouldn't settle down. Lindsay, by the way, is doing phenomenal. Like, it's like a walk in the park to her. Um, just goes to prove sometimes I think the spouses have way more stamina than we do. But she's, she's doing fine, and I'm, like, dying. Like, I can, like, feel my heart. Like, it feels like it's just going to town. And I turned to her as we're doing these stair steps, and I was like, I don't know if I can make it. She's like, I'm out. Like, you, you decide. This was our, our mountain to hike. You decide. And the thought in my mind went to, I've told everyone I'm going to hike this mountain. I can't go back and not hike the mountain. And, like, the sheer stubbornness kicks in of, like, I can do this. So we do one more step. I was like, um, maybe I can't. Like one more step. And I was like, okay, so there's a guy coming down. He summoned it already. He must have went yesterday. And so I asked him, and here's the, the pinnacle moment I'll never forget. I was like, so it's just like right over there, right? And he goes, uh, well, uh, no, you're about four hours out. I like, four hours? I don't think I can do the next step. And I had to remind myself at that moment, why am I doing this? And my wife said, you know why you're doing this. We can turn back. I won't ever bother you about it. Or we can keep going. But you need to decide why you're doing this. And at that moment, it was like, we're still going to do this. So next picture. We made it to the top. Incredible view. Would never pass it down. Don't know if I'll ever do it again. <laughs> but we made it. But there was that moment where I had to ask myself, why am I doing this? And luckily, as more of a stubborn person, some of you guys can relate to that. I found deep down inside, what's the worst? I'm going to take another step. What's the worst? I'm going to take another step. Before I knew it, like five hours later, we got there. We summoned it at noon. Those who summit know that's the perfect, about perfect time to do it. We got up. We got down. Um, and I don't think I'll ever do this mountain again. And every person on the way down, they were like, man, this was like our pinnacle hike. We've hiked so many other ones to actually be able to bag this one. This was amazing. They're like, so what about you? And I'm like, it's our first one. We've never done this before. The looks we got. So you got to know why you're doing what you're doing. Last week, Andy talked about 1 John chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. He talked verses 1 through 11. And John had said, I give you a new command. I want you to love others. I want you to love others like you love yourself. I want you to love them sacrificially, even when they don't agree with you. Even when their Facebook post or their social media post is different than yours, I want you to love them like I've loved you. And that was a whole new command, and that was something that in the midst of what they were going through as a church, they were struggling with misinformation. They were struggling with being told, if you haven't had this mystical moment, if you don't feel Christ, you don't know him, and they were leading them astray. 
And John said, on top of it, I want you to do something you're not going to feel right about. That's not going to be comfortable. I need you to love others. And then as our passage starts out in, in verse 12, he transitions, and I kind of feel like it's like a changing of gears to then hit another gear. And, and follow along in verse 12. He says, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you children because you know the father. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. If you watch in there, there's three terms that come out. uh, Children, young men, and fathers. Now he's, he's writing this letter to the church some scholars will say maybe he, he was actually literally talking to the age group, but most of them say he's talking to a spiritual age group. He's talking to the maturity of those who are in Christ. And what I like about that is if you look at the first one in verse 13, it's children. And he says, children, your sins are forgiven. At our core as believers, there's nothing more reassuring than to know our sins are forgiven. Because on our best days, we still screw up. On our best days, we post something we shouldn't have. We snark back to somebody. We text back. And we send an email that should have waited till tomorrow. We mess up all the time. And he says, for those of you in your spiritual journey, if you're just beginning or if you need a reminder, God's forgiven you. And this is important because just like me on the mountain, we need to know why we're doing what we're doing. We need to know that we have somebody that's forgiven us. Then he talks to young men. Those are kind of in the season of, I, 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 I know enough that I'm going to go out and I'm going to live this life. And I think it's enough that Satan says, I'm going to come and I'm going to tempt you because you're doing too good. And he says, you have overcome. The end of verse 13, you have overcome the evil one. And then he says, he goes on, he says, keep fighting the good fight. And you're going to fight the good fight by abiding in the word. This isn't a fight that as most teenagers say, I can do anything. I can run anywhere. I can go as fast as I want. I can do it. This is a maturity that you realize, I am in the middle of a dangerous fight. I'm fighting with the devil, but I have God's word at my side. And that is why I can overcome. And so he reassures them, first off, you're forgiven. Second off, you're fighting a fight, but you have God's word. You have your weapon. You have your reassurance. And the third category, and and as I continue to get older, this one hits more and more, is he talks to fathers, and he says that you've known God from the beginning, and the terminology there, I like this history, this legacy. If you've, if you've been following Christ for a while, you have those ups and downs. You have those moments where it's pinnacle moment, mountaintop experience. And you say, that's why I'm following God. And then you have those moments where you're like, man, I blew that one. I really messed up. And if you get a couple of those, then you start to look back and say, man, God was faithful before. He's going to be faithful again. He forgave me before. He's going to forgive me again. And as you live that legacy... That gives you the opportunity to look back and say, okay, I know God was there. He's going to be there again. So John is saying, don't forget that as we do this journey, as you live for Christ, as you try to love others, you need to first realize you've been forgiven. Then you need to realize that you're in a fight and God's not going to leave you behind. He's given you the word. And third, then he says, as, as you mature in this relationship with Christ, you need to realize you're living a legacy for others to watch, for yourself to live through. But there's a legacy there that, that don't forget in the, in the heat of this moment, if, you, if you're in the, the young men category, you're living for a legacy. 
Don't give up. Like I needed to remember why I was hiking, these believers needed to realize why they were going to walk in the light, why they were going to do this tough thing. A few years back, uh, I took a um, kind of exploratory trip with one of our missionaries. I've spoken about it before a couple of times. But one of the things was we were in France, and then we were in Spain, and then we went to uh, northern Africa. And in the midst of that, as a Midwesterner, or as most Americans, we know one language. We're really good with a language, and we're not really good with the rest of them. And when I got to Spain, it was like, okay, I know one or two words. I'm good. And then we got to France, and I was like, okay, I know like one word. And then we got to Arabic, and I knew no words. And in the course of those two weeks, there were three or four days in a row where the only English I spoke was with our missionary. So I'd go all day and have a couple words. And there were a couple times where he had to go somewhere else. And it was like I was there with godly people, great people, but they didn't know my language, and I didn't know their language. And you spent all day. But then we got to a point where as you're, you're t- talking with somebody, then on top of it, what happened is most of my journeys, I, I end up down in Haiti leading a team down there. And so we would say, we is yes. And in Spanish, si is yes. France is we was yes. In America, it's yes. And so I would start at a certain point, someone would say, hey, do you want to blah, blah, blah? And it was like, we, si, yes, I, I don't know. And Hudson pulled me aside and he was like, hey, by the way, like, you're, you're kind of like losing it. It's a simple, simple response here. I was like, I don't know. My brain's just fried. Like, I thought it was this. I thought I needed to say this. And it was like, I can't even get yes out anymore. Like, I'm struggling for yes. Like, I hit an all-time low on, like, trying to translate. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but I would even go so far as to say this last year might have felt that way. Simple things that you thought you kind of knew that were ingrained, all of a sudden, it's like the whole thing got shook up, and it's different. And much like me, you start to feel like maybe, like, I'm not, I'm not at home. This, isn't, this doesn't make sense. Um, if you're like that, and you, you look at this world, and you're saying, like I was, see, and we, and yes, this should be simple, but why is it not clicking? Why is it not making sense? Why can I not do the things that I thought made sense? I would like to bring you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and it's going to be up on the screen if you don't have it. This one has been a framework for me for, for years. And as he's addressing me, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The word there is sojourners and exiles. Just like when I was in northern Africa, when I was in Spain and France over a, a couple weeks' time period, there was moments where I was like, man, am I in France? Am I in Spain? And, and my head was spinning. And there is frequently, if you're following Christ and you're living as John is asking us to, that Christ has called us to this mission, you're going to have moments where you're saying, I don't even know how to say we or see or yes. I'm so confused. Because this world, the current world we're living in, we are sojourners. We are in exile. And I'd be willing to say the majority of us, if you're like me, you try to make this world home. We try to make it as comfortable as possible. We try to make it work as well as we can. We try to blend the current culture with our Christian convictions. We try to make it work. And at best, it's like me when I was in Africa trying to say Spanish and then switching to English, and they're like, we are in Arabic. Like, you've, you've missed it. And it's like, oh, man, I just I keep trying. And as we are sojourners and exiles, he's saying we need to abstain from the passions of flesh that wage war against your soul. The idea that our soul is under attack 
There are seasons we see that more than ever. And I, I would say in this last 12 months, there are times where, as Andy mentioned last week, even our response to people in the midst of what's going on, you say something, you're like, oh, that, was, that wasn't what I wanted to say. And it's like, where did that come from? And as we try to live this out, we have to realize we are in exile. This is not home. It shouldn't feel like home. But as I had to remind myself when I was on that journey and when I was on the mountain, I have a mission. I have a purpose. And I need to stay true to that. My purpose when I was hiking that mountain wasn't to take in the views, although the views were incredible. My purpose wasn't to be as comfortable as possible. It was impossible. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I told my wife at one point, I'm either having a heart attack and I get to go to heaven or I'm summiting or... I'm not going back. So I'm either having the heart attack or I'm summiting. We'll see which one happens first. And she just said, I, I'm, you, you do what you need to do. She's like, I can't get you off the mountain. But I think we have that mentality sometimes here where it's like, well, actually I can. And God says, be on mission. You know, here at North Point, we say frequently, the mission of the church is to be Christ in our community. We need to be on mission. Another verse that highlights that is John 18, 36. One of my favorites, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate's drilling him. And Pilate is basically saying, if you just say the right words, I can let you go. Just tell me you're some just crazy person. Tell me it's not really true. Tell me you're not trying to do this. Just give me the right words. And he, he, he asked him, what, what, what's your plan here? What's, what's the goal? What's your end game?" Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And get this, Pilate says, what is truth? The leader of the world at that time said, wait, I'm confused now. You, you confused me. And Jesus said, my mission, my purpose is to bear witness to the truth. His purpose wasn't to change over the, the current dictator. His purpose wasn't to change that culture at the moment. His purpose was to bring truth to it and let truth permeate it. As Andy said last week, as we begin to love others, they see that light in us. But then Paul or, uh, John changes gears here, and he's going to say, not only do I want you to see what you should love, but I want you to see what you shouldn't love. If you read back in 1 John 2.15, back in our passage today, we're going to see that John changes gears and invites us to an eternal purpose. He invites us to something more than what we're currently living. He invites us to more by focusing on what as last week, what we should love, and this week, what we shouldn't love. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world and its passion is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I used to get caught up in this passage as the very first verse, do not love the world or the things of the world if anyone loves the world. And I got so caught up in, man, I don't need to love the world, don't love the world, don't love the world, that I became kind of this recluse. I'm only going to do these things. I'm going to live in this bubble. And it sells us short. What he's saying is the world is a system. 
Right now, we're living in a system. We've seen the system kind of rear its head in 2021 and 2020, but it's been going for decades for this entire time. It's Satan behind the scenes saying, I'm going to try to control this as long as I can until Christ comes back. I'm going to try to take over. I'm going to try to deceive as many as I can. And John is saying, last week, here's what you should love, but this week, be careful. Don't love what you shouldn't love. Don't love this world's system. And it's so hard not to love it. It's so hard not to fall in line with, if I just this, then I'll finally feel good inside. If I just have this, if I just get this promotion, if I just get this income, if I just get this house, if my kids just get this, it's so hard because we're wired as sinful people to want that system. We're wired to want that. And this last year only exposed that, but I would say it went further back. How many of you guys have a smartphone in your pocket right now? Almost everybody. Should be almost everybody. You know what's crazy is they've said right now we live in the information era. So the information era says I can know everything because I can pull out my phone and I can ask Siri or I can ask Google or I can ask whoever to tell me what I need to know. And if you have kids, how many of you guys have had kids where they're just constantly like, hey, Siri, hey, Google, and they ask and they they want it to, to tell them something. Now, the flip side is, how many of you guys have ever been in a moment where there's some bit of knowledge you don't know in a conversation, and you've let it sit there? It's like the hardest thing on earth. Everyone's like, well, I can just pull out my phone. I can just look. I, why would we not look? I can know. I can know everything. I can know any fact, any random sports thing, anything. Then you couple that with this last year. I can know whether I should or shouldn't do this. I can know whether this is true or not true. And we start to fill our minds. And back from the very beginning, God said, you're not. And if you look at, at verse 17, or 16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. I think the pride of life more than anything is this idea that I can be in charge. I can be God. And this information era that we live in says, I can know. I can know everything. I can just look it up. I just know. And God is saying, John is saying through this principle, be careful. That system, that idea that you can know everything. That doesn't mean we live uninformed. But it means if you're following the world system of trying to know all, the pride of life seeks, seeps in. And that's what I fall victim to more often than not is I can know. And, and John is saying here, that pride will, will creep in. Be careful. And he ends in, in verse 17 saying, this world system, thankfully, is fading away. It's going to fade away. And just like generations ago, there's been systems that have rised and fallen, rised and fallen. This one's going to fall away. But God's will is what's eternal. I have this uh, slack line here. If any of you guys, uh, a couple years back, it became very popular. And if it all ravels out the way it's supposed to, maybe, we're going to see. Might be taking a chord with it. If it works like it did on Thursday, in a perfect world, well, I won't fix it, but in a perfect world, this is as tight as possible. If you've ever done, how many of you guys have ever done a slack line? Couple. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. I would almost want to call you up here and tighten it up and, and see if you could walk across. And Anna would love for me to call you up and do it. But the slack line premise is you tighten it up and you walk on it and you walk this line. And it is downright impossible. A few people can get across it. They are amazing. Johnny could prove me wrong. 
But the idea is you walk across and you have this small line and you're trying to get across it. And the thrill of, can I balance myself? And you get to that middle and it starts to get really shaky and I'm not really sure. You know, for us, he says here, the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The will of God. As believers, it's like the elusive, are we ever going to find God's will? And I want to explain to you this morning, I think we've made it sometimes too complicated. When you walk on this, it's so hard to get across it on your own. It's so hard to make this. And I want you guys to think of this is God's will for your life right now. And you were to walk across this, and you're going to get a couple steps, and you're going to biff it. And if you watch YouTube videos, you can hit the ground hard. For whatever reason, this gives you no mercy. Like, your foot's off, and it's a face plant. It's not usually your foot or your hand. Like, it's head first. But how many of us have tried to follow God's will? We last like a day. We last two days. We last three days. We last a couple seasons. And then we hit hard. And we say, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm done. But you know what does work? The only time I've gotten close to this is I've had a friend say, hey, let me just kind of help you a little bit. And they come and they walk alongside of you. And I'm still like all over the board, like no core, can't figure it out, balance. But if you look back, what he said here in, in uh, verse 14 you are strong. Why are we strong? Because the word of God abides in us. I want to challenge you guys. If you're walking in God's will, to make it across, you can't do it on your own. You need the word of God in your life daily to refresh you, to hold your hand, to walk across. Then you can do it. The word of God will help you. It doesn't have to be this elusive path that you can't do. And how many times we've fallen and we've fallen and we've fallen. And God says, I'm right here. My word can sustain you. My word can hold you. So today, as we walk away, I want you to, to, to look at your life and say, am I living by the world system or am I living for e the eternal? Am I living for this current system day in and day out? Have I, have I given into it? Have I succumbed to it not realizing that I'm living to the world system? Or... Am I living for the eternal? If you're living for the eternal, you're walking this line in God's will. You're walking what he's called you to. And it's not easy. Just because you decide to live for Christ doesn't make it easy. But God has said, I've given you my word. And I know that sounds so easy. You're like, okay, that, yeah, I've, I've got my word. Who really cares? And we, we open it up. Maybe you read 10 minutes in the morning. Maybe you read five minutes. Maybe just once a week. But God is saying, I've given you my word. That is why you're strong. You're not strong because you try harder. You're not strong because you make it five feet instead of three feet or 10 feet instead of two. You're strong because my word is in you. So this week, is the word in you? Do you use the word? Or are you trying to walk God's will on your own? Because if you're going to say yes to God, it also means you're going to say no to something else. And there's so many things this week that maybe you need to say no a little more to so that the word of God can be a little more yes and if God's word can be a little more yes, you make it further and further on God's will for your life. And as we do that, we shine brighter and brighter. And in this culture, why not shine as bright as we possibly can so people can see Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you have given us a purpose, a calling, like myself on the mountain, needing to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Lord, 
you've not left us alone. As the Holy Spirit works in our life, as he works through the word of God in our life, we can walk in your will. We can say no to this current culture, this current world system, and honor you. I pray, Lord, that we do that this week so we can continue to be a light for you. In your name, amen.